The House will come back on Monday and stay in session through Thursday. The Senate will return Tuesday and stay in session through Friday. Last week in the House, they returned to work on Monday and took up and passed the rule for consideration of H.R. 1, the Democrats' election and free speech reform bill. You remember last week, I said the Republicans filed 102 of the 177 amendments to to the bill, but they would be lucky to get a vote on a dozen of them. I was off by a wide margin. In fact, Republicans were allowed a recorded vote on precisely one amendment, which was not agreed to. Democrats were allowed recorded votes on five amendments. Three of them, which passed, were on block amendments offered by the California Democrat Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren, who happens to be the chairwoman of the House Administration Committee, which has jurisdiction, so it's not surprising that her on-block amendments were adopted. The other two were an amendment offered by Cory Bush of Missouri that would have allowed felons to vote, even still incarcerated felons, and another one offered by Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts, who wanted to lower the voting age to 16. Both of those amendments were defeated. So, after considering those amendments to H.R. 1 on Tuesday and Wednesday, The House voted to pass the bill as amended by a vote of 220 to 210. All the Democrats who voted except for one voted for the bill. The one outlier was Benny Thompson of Mississippi, who explained, quote, my constituents opposed the redistricting portion of the bill, as well as the section on public finances. I always listen and vote in the interests of my constituents, end quote. All the Republicans who voted voted against it. Then the House also took up and passed H.R. 1280, the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act, by a vote of 220 to 212, with two Democrats, Jared Golden of Maine and Ron Kind of Wisconsin, crossing party lines to vote against it, and one Republican, Lance Gooden of Texas, crossing party lines to vote for it. The House Democrat leadership apparently spends too much time reading QAnon Reddit boards and was under the impression that there would be a mass attack on the Capitol on Thursday, March 4th the day President Trump was supposed to have been inaugurated for his second term. Consequently, the House Democrat leadership didn't want to be around on Thursday. So House Democrat leaders decided Wednesday to move up their vote schedule so they could be done Wednesday night and not be there on Thursday, just in case. This week in the House, they'll come back to session on Monday with the first vote set for 6.30 p.m. At that time, the House is scheduled to consider 13 bills under suspension of the rules. On Tuesday, the House will consider the Senate amendment to H.R. 1319, the Reconciliation Bill, also known as the Coronavirus Relief Package. On Wednesday and Thursday, the House will consider H.R. 842, the Protecting the Right to Organize, or the PRO Act. That's Big Labor's top legislative priority of the 117th Congress. They will also consider two pieces of gun control legislation, H.R. 8, the Bipartisan Background Checks Act, and H.R. 1446, the Enhanced Background Checks Act of 2021. H.R. 8 has 131 co-sponsors already. H.R. 1446 only has 91. And then they'll be done. Last week in the Senate, the Senate came back to work on Monday and voted to confirm Miguel Cardona to serve as Secretary of Education. The vote to confirm him was 64 to 33. Then the Senate voted to invoke quotes on the nomination of Gina Marie Raimondo to serve as Secretary of Commerce. On Tuesday, the Senate voted by 84 to 15 to confirm her to that position. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Cecilia Rouse to serve as chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors, and then voted by 95 to 4 to confirm her to that position. On Thursday, the Senate took up and passed by a vote of 50 to 50, with Vice President Harris casting the tie-breaking vote, 
the motion to proceed to H.R. 1319, the coronavirus relief package. But before the Senate could move to take up amendments, Wisconsin Republican Senator Ron Johnson decided he wanted to have the entire country hear the bill read out loud. So much to the dismay of the Democrats who wanted to just jam this turkey through, Senator Johnson objected to the standard request to dispense with the reading of the bill and instead insisted that it be read aloud. The Senate clerks rotated in 20 to 30 minute shifts, beginning at 3.21 p.m. and ending almost 11 hours later at a little after 2 a.m. Friday morning, they read aloud the 628 pages of the legislation. Then the Senate went home for the night. The Senate came back into session late Friday morning and began taking up amendments. First up was Vermont Democrat Senator Bernie Sanders' attempt to put the minimum wage hike back in the bill. The Senate parliamentarian, you will recall, ruled last week that the minimum wage increase could not be included in the bill because it ran afoul of the Byrd Rule, which tightly limits what can be included in a bill that will pass under the reconciliation process. The Sanders Amendment didn't even come close. Eight Democrats crossed party lines to vote with all Republicans to kill the amendment by a vote of 58 to 42. The eight Democrats who voted against a minimum wage increase were Tom Carper of Delaware, Chris Coons of Delaware, Maggie Hassan of New Hampshire, Angus King of Maine, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, Gene Shaheen of New Hampshire, Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, and John Tester of Montana. I would note in particular that Carper and Coons, both of Delaware, are known to be very close to President Biden. Make of that what you will. Here's what that paragraph I just read didn't tell you. Between the time the vote on the Sanders Amendment began and the time the next measure was voted on, 11 hours and 56 minutes passed. The vote on the Sanders Amendment, which required 11 hours and 50 minutes, has now gone down in history as the longest recorded vote in the history of the Senate. Why? Because Senate Democrat leaders found out shortly after the voting period began that they didn't have all 50 Democrat senators on board with their plan for the entire COVID relief package. And they held the vote open all day and into the evening while they were negotiating. And who was the outlier Democrat? If you've been paying attention, I'll only need to give you one guess, and it won't even be much of a guess. West Virginia's Joe Manchin. He thought the package was too generous with its unemployment benefits plus up, and he wanted to do something about it. The package that passed the House extended the unemployment benefits from March 14 through August 29, and increase the benefit from $300 per week to $400. Manchin wanted to find a way to reduce that at least somewhat. Ohio Republican Senator Rob Portman introduced an amendment to lower the benefit from $400 back to its current level of $300 per week and to end the benefits on July 18. That amendment would have avoided the prospect of the benefits running out in the middle of the August recess. The Portman Amendment passed by a vote of 50 to 49, with Manchin crossing over to vote for it. Alaska's Dan Sullivan missed all day Friday because he was attending a funeral. But Manchin then voted for a later amendment that changed the benefit again. As in the Portman Amendment, the benefit stays at its current level of $300 per week, but it will be extended through the first week of September. So it still does not run out while Congress is out of town on its August recess. In addition, Recipients of the unemployment benefit who make up to $150,000 per year will get the first $10,200 of unemployment benefits tax-free. Senator Hassan of New Hampshire, who happens to be in cycle, offered an amendment to require local school systems to produce a plan for reopening their schools for in-person teaching 
within 30 days of receiving funds from the bill. Republican Senator Susan Collins of Maine crossed over to vote for that amendment, so it passed by a vote of 51 to 48. They voted through the night, knocking down amendment after amendment, all on party line votes. Finally, just a few minutes after noon on Saturday, the Senate voted by 50 to 49 to pass the bill as amended. Now it goes back to the House, which will take it up and most likely pass it on Tuesday. So this week in the Senate, they'll return on Tuesday with first vote set for 5.30 p.m. That will be a vote to invoke cloture on the nomination of Marsha Fudge to serve as Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. Then, based on the Majority Leader's cloture filings, I'd predict that the Senate will move to consider the nomination of Merrick Garland to serve as Attorney General, and then Michael Regan to serve as Administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency. Now to confirmations. As predicted on last week's call, Neera Tandon's nomination to serve as Director of the Office of Management and Budget was pulled by midweek. Alaska Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski, who had been trying to negotiate some kind of deal to help Alaska's economy in exchange for her vote to confirm Tandon and make up for the loss of West Virginia Democrat Senator Joe Manchin's vote, was surprised. She apparently hadn't even had time to put a firm offer in front of the White House before she learned that the Tandon nomination had been withdrawn. Tough luck for her and tough luck for Tandon. On Wednesday, the Senate Finance Committee met to vote out former Congressman and California Attorney General Javier Becerra's nomination to serve as Secretary of Health and Human Services. But the committee deadlocked at 14 to 14 on a straight party line vote and failed to report out the nomination with a favorable recommendation. That does not mean Becerra's nomination is dead. Majority Leader Schumer can and will bring it to the floor, but he'll need to use a motion to discharge the nomination from the committee and then use up four hours of floor time he didn't want to have to use. There's still no guarantee that Becerra will get 50 votes from the Democrats. Some Democrats, like Manchin, have kept their powder dry so far. Finally, back on H.R. 1, now that the House version of the Democrats' election reform legislation has passed, Minnesota Democrat Amy Klobuchar, chairman of the Senate Rules and Administration Committee, which has jurisdiction over election administration, announced last Wednesday that she has scheduled a hearing for the For the People Act for Wednesday, March 24th. And that's our Washington Report for this week.